Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 321. Hope you're doing well. It's so great to have you hanging out here with us. Before we get going, this is a time of release, our final of three all-new episodes this week. It has been an exceptional week in horror. We've got the classic Popcorn, now streaming on Shudder. That's something to do this weekend. Also, The Last Victim with Ali Larder's brand new. Christina Ricci's Monstrous. And right now, you're about to sit in on a conversation with two of our faves, filmmaker Keith Thomas and actor Ryan Kiera Armstrong, who's been in It Chapter 2, American Horror Story. He's about to do a movie with Nick Cage, all sorts of amazing stuff. They're hanging out to talk about their tremendous new horror adventure based on the Stephen King classic, Firestarter. And let me tell you, we are all about this movie. In theaters and streaming, only on Peacock right now. We talk about Keith's journey to making the film and his vision. King's involvement, working with John Carpenter, Cody Carpenter, and Daniel Davies on the most amazing score, the special effects, and a very cool Easter egg. Plus, he's going to talk a little bit about the Academy of Curiosity series he's working on with Del Toro. Ryan lets us in on the intricacies of playing Charlie working with the pyrotechnics, her own superpower of crying on cue, and so much more. It is a flaming hot episode 321 with Firestarters Keith Thomas and Ryan Kiera Armstrong now slaying. What's going on, sweetie? Something feels weird. Something's changing. You remember the tools we tied, right? Pencil, desk, paper, shoes, your wheel. Everything okay, Charlie? It happened again. What happened? The bad thing. If you ever start to lose control, what do you do? It didn't work. She's not a robot, Annie. She's a little girl. With little girl emotions, which are wildly unpredictable. Charlie? She just has to shove it down and keep it hidden. Our responsibility is getting her ready. Our responsibility is to protect her. Charlie? If they catch her, they're going to put her in a cage. Charlie? They're going to run tests on her for the rest of her life. I'll never see her again. If who catches me? Something's happened. I need it handled with discretion. And I need her back alive. Holy shit. Do you know what it means to be on the run? Bad men are after us. Really bad. I hate living like this! You're special, Charlie. I'm not special! I'm a monster! Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio are two spectacular storytellers whom we are all massive fans of. He is a director, producer, and writer who gave us a stunning short in 2017 called Arcane and followed it up with his feature film debut, one of the best horror films we've ever seen, to be quite honest, with 2019's The Vigil. It was a poetic and chilling masterpiece showcasing him as a maestro of undeniable dread. He knows how to 
build an experience around you as an audience member to make you feel every subtle decision with an alchemic use of negative space, sound, performances, and controlling the gaze of the camera with an unsettling whimsy that has made him one of the loudest and most interesting voices in cinema. Also here with us is an extraordinary actor who at only the age of 12 continues to star in the biggest films and TV shows ever made, including It Chapter 2, one of the highest grossing horror films of all time, the nine-time award-winning Marvel movie Black Widow, the 16-time Emmy-winning American Horror Story series. Her performances are also natural and believable with the amazing ability to unlock unbridled intensity. It is no wonder why she is one of the most talked about young actors in Hollywood. Together, their new movie is an eagerly anticipated adaption of Stephen King's 1980 best-selling novel. It tells the tale of a family desperately trying to hide their daughter, Charlie, from a clandestine federal agency that's after her for her telekinetic abilities to make things burst into flames. It's called Firestarter. In theaters and streaming only on Peacock May 13th, we are honored to welcome its star, Ryan Kiera Armstrong, and returning guest to the show, the wonderful Keith Thomas. Yeah! Wow, that was quite an intro. Well deserved, the two of you. Thank oh you. my gosh. <laughs> and congratulations on all of your amazing work on this film, you guys. We absolutely loved it. There is so much to be proud of here. It really is a beautiful film on so many levels. So we saw the pictures on Instagram of the party for the film release uh, over at No Vacancy last night. How much fun was that? Oh, it was it was really fun. <laughs> yeah, that place is cool, huh? Did you get to go through like the secret entries and all that? Did they have that going? No, I didn't. Oh my gosh, I really wanted to because everyone was telling me when you go, there's going to be like a room and then the bedrooms. Yeah. I mean, this was like kind of a while ago, but they probably still do. I was like, okay, I'm really excited. And then we went. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> It sounded so cool. Yeah, it's still a really cool place, though, for sure, for sure. It almost looks like haunted in a way. It was very suited. Yeah, definitely. So, Ryan, you're so incredible being in horror movies. What's the first horror movie that you've ever watched, and what did you think of it? I know I was on the set of Saw with my dad. Oh, wow. I was a few days old. He was working on it. So he's also an actor and he was he was doing Saw. And I guess it was a very child friendly set. But when I was only a few days old, I was on that set. So I kind of grew up with horror, if that makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. It, it has been following me like ever since I was a baby. That's so. amazing. So do you actually like watching them? Um, yeah, I have a very hard be time. Honest, be honest, be honest, Ryan. It's okay if you don't. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about it. Well, I love, love, love being in horror. I love making horror. It's so much fun. But watching horror for me, it will traumatize me. Wow. I cannot. It, it's really weird. And even when I watched... I watched like a rough cut of Firestar and even then I was just like, uh-huh. but like I get so scared so easily. Like if I hear a sound in the house, I'm like, okay, there's definitely a ghost in here. I'm um, like, I get so scared so easily. So love horror. Well, that's maybe why you're so great in, <laughs> inside horror movies. So what do you think you like best about being in horror movies? I, Oh, that's a good question because I love everything. Um, especially with Firestar. I mean, amazing i really like one of my favorite things with acting and with anything i do is also i get to explore like a world that i would never really be in and that's one of my favorite things and also exploring like this world and then with firestarter i mean there's just super super power and like i don't know it's it's really fun and it's fun to explore that and the craft of it so yeah yeah well keith 
It's so great to see you out and making movies again and, and to see something you've made. It's been a little while for us and we've been so excited about this. So give us a quick story about how your involvement in this project came to be. Yeah, so it, it, can't, it happened right after The Vigil premiered. Um, the Vigil premiered at TIFF in Toronto and the week after I was summoned to Blumhouse and I uh, had a meeting with Jason and Cooper there and uh, we were just whatever uh, talking about ideas and I was throwing out some stuff I'd been working on and this and that as you do in these sort of general meetings. And at one point Jason had to step out to take care of something. And uh, he came back about 10 minutes later, uh, the door kind of swung open. He kind of came in like Kramer kind of slid in. <laughs> he was like, uh, <laughs> he was like, I know what your next movie is. I was like, Oh, great. You do. Uh, and he was like, yeah, it's going to be Firestarter." And, uh, I, you know, at that moment, of course, I was very familiar with the book. I'd read it several times. I first read it probably when I was Ryan's age. And then I had seen the film. I think I'd seen it on my on HBO at my grandma's house when I was a when I was a kid. I think that's when I saw the first adaptation. So so I knew it and I was excited to read the script. And here's a weird little tangent story around it. Yeah. Is I was at the Overlook Film Festival, the first inaugural one on Mount Hood in 2017. And I was there the day that Jason and Akiva announced that they were making a new version of Firestarter. Um, I was not a filmmaker at the time. Uh, I still had my, you know, day job essentially. And I was just in the audience just as a fan. I was used to going to, to horror film festivals as a fan. And it's just bizarre that five years later, I was the one to make it. Right. Right. If you could have gone back in a time machine and tell yourself, (laughs) I would have raised my hand and, uh, (laughs) Hey, I'll, I'll make that for you guys. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of how it came together. I read the script. Uh, we did some early development. Uh, I met with actors, including Zach and, um, started seeing Ryan's tapes and then COVID of course emerged. Um, and you know, gave us a bit of a delay, but yeah, it happened pretty much right after the, the vigil. The script written by Scott teams. He's a terrific writer director as well. And he did Halloween yes. kills and he's got the exorcist and insidious five on the way. What do you like? <laughs> about, what do you like uh, about the way that he writes? You know, here's the interesting thing about Scott teams. Scott, uh, Scott is right. A director and a writer. Uh, he's kind of found his way into horror. I think he's always liked horror, but, but if you look at his films, the films he directs, they're very Southern Gothic kind of, uh, he's a Southern dude. They're kind of Southern rural Gothic things. They're to family dramas. Uh, they're usually intense. And he brings that, that sort of very sort of intense emotional family dynamics into his horror films, uh, which is really interesting and fascinating. And when I first read the script, that was the thing that appealed most to me about this. Cause for me, I think the original adaptation of Firestarter did a very good job in telling the story in terms of the beats. Like they go here, they do this, these guys are after them. It looks like this and this happens. Whereas I was much more interested in maybe tweaking that a bit to tell more about the family and about parenting and raising a child with abilities and what it's like to be a kid and on the outside like that. Uh, And at the same time, in some ways, all of this was in the script originally, but the thing that really appealed to me beyond that core was this idea of, you know, ever since 1980, when the book came out, 
uh, I think there are a lot of people have riffed on this material. Um, in particular, you look at a film like Logan, or you look at series like Stranger Things, they, they're all kind of taking cues from this idea of a clandestine experiment that results in people with abilities and those abilities get loose. Mm-hmm. I, and we've seen it. I wanted to, to do a version that I felt could be very grounded and much more realistic um, in terms of, in particular, how the powers manifest and the results of them. And, you know, we've seen fire. Fire is the oldest special effect known to mankind. So it was a matter of I'm interested in what happens before the flames break out, how the room changes, what heats up, what melts, and then the after effects. You're, you know, I think in a case with somebody like Charlie, you're lucky if you die with the flames. Right. right? And then they're usually not on that long. It's mostly what happens after, like the result of being on fire that I thought was really fascinating because you don't see those repercussions in a lot of movies. You'll have people, ah, they burst into flame and then they're off screen, right? Oh, those guys must've died. I'm more interested in, you know, if you're on fire for 15 seconds, what does your body look like afterwards? And, and then how do you live with the repercussions of that? I wanted to see the danger. So all of those things were in the script and teams and I just kind of drilled down even more to really bring them out. Mm, yeah. yeah. I would have to say like seeing uh, an arm burned that was something that like i never really got a close-up look and that made my stomach drop yeah. <laughs> i was like yeah. oh my gosh there were some amazing prosthetics wow. going on there in fact you know some of the folks involved in that uh that 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 prosthetic in particular were involved in the film possessor uh the the brandon cronenberg film yeah. which had amazing prosthetics as well and you know it was a uh I'll say this, uh, you know, we, sh- that was a long scene. We shot a lot of that. In fact, you know, this is Vicky's arms, which you see her catch fire in the trailer, but the after effect that, that sort of gore prosthetic, it was a 10 minute sequence that we shot of that with poor Sydney, you know, reacting to every, wow. every touch Zach putting on lotion and wrapping. It was a very long sequence and watching it was so difficult uh, <laughs> that even though there's only however many, seconds of it in the film it still felt like wow that's pretty powerful i think on set even when she walked in people were like oh my god this is rough uh it's most rough stuff let's talk a bit about charlie the the most important piece of the puzzle here finding this super talent in ryan to play your charlie keith what were you looking for in in the audition tapes and, and things of that nature to find her yeah so for me i mean it really was ryan you know, blew all of us in terms of casting away with her tape. I, so I went into it looking for someone who was able to kind of portray the depths of the emotion that were going on here and the tension. It wasn't so much, you know, I did, we aged Charlie up obviously in the book, she's like eight years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the 1984 adaptation, she's like nine or 10. Uh, so we aged her up a bit because I wanted to deal more with the sort of onset of puberty and the kind of middle school vibes that all of us are you're probably still recovering from. So, you know, I was looking for an actor who was able to not necessarily wear it on her sleeve, but get the depths of that turmoil and that struggle. And Ryan, we saw a lot of of, of really great actors, but Ryan's tape her initial tape just kind of really floored us in that she was doing a dramatic scene, one of the big scenes in the film. And she was able to just dive into this emotion 
that didn't require words that we were able to just read in her eyes and on her face that there was real depth to it. And, you know, uh, you know, Ryan's an incredible actor and I will, you know, say this, that she's able to go places that a lot of actors are afraid to go. Um, a lot of actors are afraid of letting go or opening up fully because it's, you know, uncomfortable, it's uncomfortable and you're being watched by like 150 people on set. And Ryan, you know, a lot of this role required her to have these very sort of tense encounters and emotional exchanges. And Ryan was able to, you know, within the first take or two, really open up and, you know, the tears are flowing down her face and she's like sobbing um, so much so that I think the very first day on set, I think we were in the forest. I think that's where we were, Ryan. And you had a scene where you sat on a log and you were like worried about what happened to you to your dad and what's going on with you and where you're going to go. And you just kind of the floodgates opened, the emotions spilled out. And I remember everybody, I was in the tent with Kareem, the DP, but the sides were open. And I remember a bunch of crew members coming around and like, is she okay? (laughs) Is she all right? Like, did we break her? Like what, what happened? And I was like, this is her, this is what she does. And then sure enough, you know, once, once Ryan turns that faucet on, it's not the easiest thing to turn off. So She'd come around between takes and she'd be like, I'd be there at the monitor and she'd come over with like a popsicle and the tears are still flowing down her face. And she's like, hey, Keith. <laughs> wow. It's, I, it's really because of that depth and emotion, Ryan, that you're able to convey that, that we follow you through the story so closely. Oh my gosh. So yeah, there's something, two things I want to add. Yeah. 100% agree with you, Keith, uh, uh, what you were saying earlier about how it was really important. Not only is this story and Charlie about fire, but it's also about this girl that has been told lies and there's so much to kind of also feel. Um, but I wanted to mention something because this was creepy and I don't know how this happened and this has never happened to me before. And so we were doing a scene and speaking of my mom's arms being lit on fire, I cry a lot in that scene. It was a heavy emotion day. Um, like the whole day I was crying and, um, oh, and I couldn't stop crying. Um, I went to my trailer uh, I cried 20 minutes after we wow. were shooting and my dad was trying to make jokes. He was like, are you okay? And like, and trying to make jokes to get me to laugh. And I was laughing and then I was laughing and crying. And so it was a mess. And then the next morning I woke up and I couldn't open this eye. Oh and no! my right eye shut. It was glued shut. I could not open it. I could open my left eye. But my right eye uh, did not open. It was so swollen. And it's still a mystery. We went on like a Zoom with the doctor. And we were like, this. Um, and he was like, there is no explanation. Like, there really isn't. And like, it could have been a sty, but like, there was no sty to be seen. Wow. It was so strange. But that was one of the weirdest experiences. But um, ironically, the next day, one of the scenes, I actually had my eyes covered and by Rainbird, and my yeah. eyes are covered. I can't see a thing. You guys can't see my eyes. And that was a day that my eyes were swollen, but oh. I could see the scene because my eyes were yeah. covered. Oh my God. So, um, it was so ironic, but it was, it was, it was definitely a story. But um, 
it was really cool. <laughs> it worked out, right? Well, when you when you get yourself to cry, are you how do you do it? Are there tricks that you use? Do you think of things that are going on? You know, do you think of a fictitious event in your personal life, or do you think of the character in the film? How do you do it? It's a really hard question to answer because there really isn't an explanation. Huh. Of course, I will pull up inner emotions that I can relate to to Charlie, but. I almost embody Charlie and I surround myself, myself, uh, myself with the story and I almost make it seem real and that there's pressure. And I don't know why, but I always get the tendency whenever I do this to curl up like this. And so I would always like before each take, I would curl up and then I would start bawling. And um, I don't know. It was it's really unexplainable, but it happens and it's real and it's true. That's amazing, Ryan. That's amazing. What what did it feel like the first time that you became Charlie? Besides the fact that she has these incredible powers, what were things that you noticed about her that you found interesting to perform? Um, Yeah, Um, there's a lot. And one of my favorite things about Charlie is not only is this a movie um, where there's firepower, but it's also this movie about family. And there's there's so much other things that are also going on um, than fire when you realize it. And um, that was one of the major things I had to take on with Charlie, because not only was she living a lie, but she also has this firepower and she's getting older and she doesn't know how to control it. And it's developing. And then she's also unveiling lies that have been told that her life was normal and that everything was okay, but it wasn't. And so there were so many things to take on, which um, Keith was amazing with really laying everything out and being like, okay, this is everything. And, um, we have to take this in. It was really, really fun. It was really fun. As much was it also like, I have to like take on this character. It was so much fun. Um, and everyone made it really fun on set, but it was definitely a journey doing Charlie. Definitely. Did you read the Stephen King book prior to I always knew it. I never had read it. Um, I always knew it. And I know Stephen King is a legend. I mean, Stephen King, I think everyone knows who he is. But I I always had known Firestarter. Like, I knew what it was about. I knew Drew Barrymore associated with the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I always knew it. I just had never really read it, uh, which is ironic. Yeah. Um, I love Stephen King, though. I actually had done previously in a Chapter 2 film, which was also Mm -hmm. Stephen King. And yeah. yeah, I mean, it's amazing. He's a legend. Um, yeah. and you're, so- you're part of that universe now, which is incredible. I know. It's, it's so like honor. Like I'm such, it's so cool. And it's still kind of surreal. I mean, whenever like I get a trailer or something that comes up a Firestarter, I'm always like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, it's everywhere now. It's everywhere. You know, it's, it's, it's really cool. And it's really surreal. And um, what did you like about working with, uh, with Keith? He was amazing. There was like, oh my gosh. One of my favorite things about Keith was he really was an actor's director and he really had this calm pace. He never rushed a set. He was like, we're going to get it and we're not going to rush anything, which there's so many sets that are like that. That's like, okay, let's get the scene. Let's get the scene. But Keith really was like, let's get the scene. We can do it. And it was a very collaborative relationship. And I know uh, Zach Efron, who played my dad in the film. It was a very like collaborative bubble almost of um, discovering the story together. And I know Keith and I had many calls um, beforehand 
of really describing the character um, in the story because there's so much that happens um, all at once yeah. and so, so much stuff reveals all at once. And so that was like one of the major things that we just had to get down. But something kind of funny, I was actually just studying how to draw like very realistic eyes. Oh, wow. Uh, beforehand and i told keith um before uh we started i was like oh my gosh keith like look at these eyes i'm drawing and then he was like oh my gosh that's awesome you know what we should do we should put that up in the bedroom um on set and so in many scenes you might actually see some of my drawings i think most of them in my bedroom on set were actually mine so um yeah so that was fun that is so cool (laughs) it's really cool i have to say our seven-year-old thinks that you are a Disney princess because she saw the poster of Firestarter and she was like, what is this? And I was like, oh, you know, she has fire powers. And she was like, oh my gosh, she's like Elsa, but she has fire. And she's like, I want to see this movie. And I was like, oh, it's not a Disney movie. And she's like, she's a princess. I'm like, for sure. <laughs> very cute. So, so much, and then when she reali- when she realizes it's not a princess, yeah, um, it's going to be a big deal. <laughs> yeah, it, is. it really is. The Boo Crew will be right back. Charlie McGee is an innocent child with an incredible power. Do something bad, please, to love me. She can set things on fire with just a glance. Charlie McGee is the fire starter. There are those who would control her or destroy her. Does she have the power to survive? Firestarter from Universal Pictures. Rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent. Starts Friday at select theaters. Check newspapers for locations. Keith, one of the things that we noticed first in this film is the terrific look of the movie and that stunning title sequence that happens. And I guess this question is twofold. Tell us about, I guess, the look and the feel uh, of, of the film first, how it was achieved, any particular lenses that you sought out to give it that unique camera look and designing that title sequence itself. Yeah, so uh, I was very fortunate to work with a very talented Canadian DP, Kareem Hussein who uh, he and I both share a sort of very deep, very nerdy uh, kind of film collecting, I guess you could call it a habit, but that's, you know, it's worse than that. And Kareem has, you know, so it was great in that I could make any sort of obscure film reference and Kareem would know what I was talking about. Um, and so for this, because I was going for this sort of very grounded middle-class New England kind of industrial blue collar sort of world meets a very scientifically grounded as much as possible superpower sort of situation. I wanted the look of the film to be evocative of the sort of films that reminded me most of that, 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 uh, that look. So a lot of Alan Parker, uh, films, uh, including Angel Heart, was one that I'm a big fan of. And I, we looked a lot at kind of his lighting. So 
uh, one of the techniques we use is a lot of Rembrandt lighting, which is side lighting, which casts a shadow on half the face, ah. which is to me realistic. I, I never like seeing overhead lighting when it's kind of very flattening overhead lights. I just, you know, and there's no overhead lights in my house. I just, it just doesn't, whatever. I just don't, I'm not used to seeing that. It feels artificial. So it's how do you make things as realistic as possible? So for example, the McGee house, the house that Andy and Vicky and Charlie live in, that's a real house. Um, and we rebuilt it on stage for the interiors kind of down to the inch. And I made it so the ceilings were hard. They can't be removed. You can't put a crane in there. Uh, same with the walls. They're not easily flyable. So it makes you have to be as if you're on location. You have to use Steadicam. You have to use smaller dollies to be able to move the camera around. And that just gives it this sort of this feel that I was looking for in terms of the uh, authentic sort of real world look. And then we used uh, these lenses um, that had a very, they're modern lenses that have a very vintage look. And they, you know, they have a softness to them. And the one thing when you're working with digital cameras as I done with all my stuff um, is they can get super crisp and you can get into dangerous territory of the soap opera effect. And so you have to constantly cutting, cutting that digital edge down. Um, and these lenses did a very good job of that. So if you haze the room up, you get the, you just ride the fogger constantly and haze it up. Uh, you get the writing lighting a certain way. And then you use these lenses, you can achieve a very cinematic sort of uh, 35 millimeter look, uh, with the lenses kind of in camera. So that was a big, a big part of getting the feel that we wanted. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, on top of that, kind of the framing that we were doing, we we're kind of going for a claustrophobic intense sort of feel and all of that, you know, came together to kind of manifest in this, this approach. Yeah. Oh, it gave the whole thing a really interesting flavor. And then of course this glorious score from mm. Carpenter, John Carpenter, yeah. Cody Carpenter, Daniel Davies. Tell us about getting them involved in the sheer, I mean, the sheer giddiness that you must have had listening to these absolutely <laughs> yeah. insane cues. I mean, it was giddiness from the go. It was, you know, one of these things that I had, we had made a list of uh, cinematographers, or not cinematographers, of, of composers early on. And I had floated this idea of Carpenter just because I knew I was working with Blumhouse and they had the Halloween trilogy at the same time. I knew a, there's going to be a huge stretch. Like, how are we going to get him to do this? And B, he'd never scored anything before. Really. That wasn't something that he had made mm-hmm. or been involved in, or was a remake of something he did. So, and I know of course the history of Firestarter with Carpenter, but you know, something I floated out there and it wasn't until we were pretty deep into production that Ryan Turek, uh, one of the produced onset producers pulled me aside and said, Hey, we got to talk. And uh, I was like, okay, what's going on? He said, uh, Carpenter, I think Carpenter's in. <laughs> and of course, it was like hard for me to function after that. But, uh, <laughs> oh, boy. But then it, it just got worse because then that, that next weekend, I'm on a phone call with him. Oh. And, uh, and you know, Carpenter is a straight shooter. Yeah. He is, when he's composing, he's composing, right? I'm not going to be able to float questions about filmmaking to him. Like this is not <laughs> the time or the place. He's not going to answer those questions. It was much, you know, it's much more like, okay, we're going to do this. Let's do this. And uh, so he really, uh, you know, off the bat was just, you know, what are my films? What, what are my scores that I've done speaks most to what you want here? And I said, Christine, 
And he said, okay, good, good choice. Good choice. And he said, uh, so what are we, you know, what are we going for? What's the vibe? And I said, you know, dark, rhythmic, percussive. He was like, well, that's what I make. So uh, we're in, we're in great shape. And so he basically was like, look, well, you want me to, you know, score little bits. You want me to do the whole thing from beginning to end. And of course, I mean, if John Carpenter asks you that, what are you going to say? Right. I mean, of course you're going to say, yeah, the whole thing, if you're down. And he was like, I love it. Let's do it. So I had this incredible uh, month, really. We had sh- finished shooting Firestarter in July, I believe. And I remained in Canada, in Toronto, because I jumped onto a film with Guillermo del Toro that I shot in the fall. And so I had this kind of very surreal month where I would spend the week uh, working on the Guillermo del Toro project, which already was kind of a dream come true. And then the weekends, both working on editing Firestarter and having long calls with John Carpenter and mm-hmm. Cody and Daniel. And, you know, there was nothing more surreal than sitting there uh, on my Zoom call and seeing John watching Firestarter. And then, you know, I'd have these amazing moments where he'd turn around and he'd be like, good scene good scene you know it's just like i probably had to turn my camera off to keep from showing that i was fainting in my chair but uh you know it all was an amazing experience but at the end of the day he created a score that i think will definitely stand the test of time not only does it really elevate the film and feels very much a, a part of the movie and it feels very kind of it's you know in some ways i think there's a lot of it's hard to tell where the sound design ends and the score begins. He's yep. doing so much with interesting drone stuff that he just really let loose on it. Um, it elevated the material and it just on its own. It's an amazing, amazing soundtrack. It's just one of those things that I've been lucky. I've been able to listen to it <laughs> just on my own for the last year. So, uh, so I know it in and out, but uh, I think people are going, people who love his scores are going to love this one. Oh yeah. What a gift it was to hear that music, man. I tell you, I've got, I got a couple favorite cues already. Like the, after the basketball scene near the beginning yes. of the movie, it's uh, one of my yeah. favorites. I was like, running oh, down that hallway. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I was yeah. like, this is it's everything. Amazing. This is everything. I was like, you know, and I, I may even mention this to him. I was like, you know, if you just had that go for 20 minutes, I'd totally be down. Like just, <laughs> Just loop that. Just loop that. (laughs) So, Ryan, we'll move over to you. Zach Efron seems like the absolute coolest person. What were some of your favorite things about your scenes together with him? Oh, my gosh. Uh, First of all, yes, one of the coolest coolest dads. Um, Oh, he was so sweet. He was really, really sweet. And like I mentioned before, a super collaborative relationship, uh, like a little bubble. And then Kareem was also part of that bubble. It It was really fun. He was really awesome. And he was really there for me. And he was really giving and very present in the scene, which is very important um, in acting. And you don't often get that, which is amazing to be opposite that and to work with that. um, Because it really gave me an idea what the film was as well, because he had an idea and then I kind of built, built upon that. And so he was amazing and he was really funny. He actually kicked my, kicked my butt first time I met him in ping pong. (laughs) (laughs) And so that was fun. Um, It was a great first impression. I was just like, okay. Um, So, but he, he was awesome. He was really sweet. And really, really a phenomenal actor. Oh, yeah, definitely. And yeah, you two were so fantastic together. Oh, I was going to ask Keith about the effects of making Zach's 
eyes bleed. Oh like, yeah, how that was done. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. So that was you know one of my and then going along with this whole realistic grounded stick that I've been selling here with the the look and the feel of it, the effects were the other big piece of that, and that I wanted the effects to be as real in camera as possible. And I think, you know, more than 97% of them are certainly prosthetics. Almost all the fire you see is real and on those people um, with some little CG hints and whispers here and there. Yeah. And it was definitely, you know, something that was really important for it to be right. This kind of very real, you know, very authentic feeling sort of i wanted it in the camera so you can react to it right so the actors had something right there that they knew what it was going to do and we had prepared for it and we had all stunt people and everything ready so like when vicky's arms go up on fire uh that's really sydney with her arms on fire and yeah. that's i might add to that yeah. um it was really really cool um i'm gonna say that because on set i've never had this experience well first of all i've never been a part of a film where there's firepower but it was amazing how much Keith wanted to make it real. And I was so there for it. I was so excited. I saw like all the stunts, almost all the stunts, either like on video or I was actually there and they were so cool and they really made the world real. And it made me like react off of it because it made me feel like, yes, I do have these powers because it's actually happening. And it makes this world actually come to life which is amazing um and i'm really 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 happy and it was so awesome to work with keith and yeah no that was and it was a great it was it was that was the that's the other nice thing about having that on set is you can you know for example with ryan i could show her there's a scene that uh, there's a scene with a cat that's pretty much all i kind of say about (laughs) scene with a cat and i was able to Ryan and I were able to walk through that whole scene and she was able to touch everything and meet everyone and understand it. So that it wasn't so much being sprung on her, but it also wasn't something where I was like, look at this, this green football and that's a cat, you know, it was like there. Yes. So, you know, what's really ironic in that scene, the cat is not supposed to like me. (laughs) It's not supposed to like me. This cat loved me. I'm allergic to cats. And it was great. And so it kept on coming up to me and I was like, hi, Ryan. And like was trying to like almost like cuddle and like kind of hug. I'm like, I'm also allergic to you. And you're supposed to be mean to me. So please. (laughs) Um, Oh, my gosh. It was it was really funny. But um, anyways, that cat really liked me. And normally cats don't like me. So it, it was really ironic. But it's a very nice cat. Maybe yeah. that's what happened to your eye. It was the allergy to the cat. <laughs> right, maybe. maybe. <laughs> you know, there was a funny little side story to this cat. And that this was a very experienced cat. This cat, I think, has something like 50 film credits or more. <laughs> wow. um, and right. This cat was very nice. And there, there's a sequence. There's part of this is the cat has to get mad. Right. And hiss, yeah. which if you know cats, they do not act on command. Right. They're not. They don't do what you want. So this was funny to get the cat to hiss. They had another cat and this other cat whole job. It just hung out in a, in a carrier. And when it was called to set, this cat would show up and our main cat hated this cat. And so when he saw her, he would hiss and freak out. And it was, it was hilarious. It was like this backup. (laughs) You know, I imagine that if you had an actor, the actor was like, uh, you know, I need to be angry in this scene. Bring out Joey. And he had some guy, Joey, who stayed in the trailer. 
bring Joey to set and see Joey get pissed off. Like, okay, great. Put Joey away again. I got it. I got it. I'm in the mood. And it was, it's hilarious that there's two cats to get that effect. That's oh my, dude, those unbelievable. Two cats work as a team. Like they do, they work, they travel together. So the other incredible. cat just, you know, hangs out, gets treats, <laughs> chills until they're called to piss the other cat off. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. The best job ever. <laughs> right, right. So Ryan, like Ryan, how close did you end up getting to the fire effects in your scene? Oh, for sure. I mean, in every scene, there were like very, very close, but there wasn't a moment where I felt unsafe. Sure. Like we had an amazing team on set that would like have me with the fire, but like also like I was completely safe, like nothing could happen. Um, and it was amazing. I remember just walking out of my trailer. Um, every day and there, oh, there's a fire truck. Oh, another fire truck. Okay. <laughs> right? I guess. Uh, big fire day today. I can see. Um, but um, we always like was very protected and very safe. But at the same time, we also were very close with the fire, which was really cool, which was really, really cool. And um, I know which scene almost like every scene i know one of the scenes i walked i woke uh, i woke i walked through a door that had like a fire on it yep. i think there was a little flame little thing that actually came up like right when i went by um and i think that was real um but they were like okay just come really fast and then we'll let it yeah. um but um yeah it was really cool and it's like my first time ever really working with fire um and being so close to fire and um i felt very powerful yeah oh i can yeah. imagine yeah. It, it was really cool. And um, yeah. <laughs> Did working with fire affect your dreams at all? Like, oh, like when you went to bed yeah. after set, like where you would you dream, dream about, about fire? fire or being powerful? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I will tell you this. I think every actor gets this dream. So many times I had a dream where I came on set, forgot everything. Oh. Forgot so I did have that dream. I think a few dreams I had fire because like I said, fire is like, and horror is kind of creepy but at the same time on set is also kind of different than what it may translate mm -hmm. i mean as the world is still being real with all the like real stunts happening but it also um there's also like extra extra effects that is um done digitally yeah that made it even like crazier but yeah i mean definitely probably a few dreams uh, about it <laughs> but, um oh my gosh yeah <laughs> ryan i would also say that I thought it like the uh, the bullies that you have to face are so mean in this. And the way you made Charlie try not to use her powers was just as fun as when she does use her powers, but in a different way, because it lets us be very sad for Charlie. Why do you think it was important for us to be sad for Charlie and to show that side of her? Well, you know what? It's also showing that not only does she have this firepower, but people also don't think about how can she conceal it <laughs> like how is she like not always doing it it's really important to show hey this is also a girl that is getting bullied mm -hmm. that has to try to like conceal this power and that just makes the intensity of it go way higher yeah because now she's going to be on the radar if she ever gets upset and so now we're put in this world if i ever get upset i have fire and if the fire happens, well, then people are after us. And so we're put in this world and it makes the world even more real um, rather than, oh, I firepower. Oh, people see me. Let's go like that. That's what you may generally see. But with this, you also see the backstory and why this is happening and why people are coming after um, because it is dangerous in the world. And um, 
But it is really important to show the audience um, both sides of also running and also this girl is growing up being bullied and you have to deal with this every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, Something we can all relate to for sure. Yeah. I was wondering if Stephen King himself had any role in the process of this particular film. You know, he was involved uh, early before I got involved. Like I said, it'd been kind of been moving and developing for about five years. He, I know that he had read an early draft of Teams' script, which was not too dissimilar from the final draft, um, that he was really, he was really uh, pleased with it. Uh, and not to give anything away, but he felt like the ending was, and this is the story that I was told that he thought the ending was better than the ending of the book. Um, so coming into it, I thought, wow, that's great. Well, if, if he's that down, then that's great. Uh, yeah. Then we're, then we're in good shape. And then, you know, later, uh, Stephen King watched the vigil and approved me to direct, but at a certain point, you know, he's just kind of hands off. It's, you know, you guys are going to do what you guys are going to do. Just do it. And I'll see it. I'll see it later. <laughs> so, so that was really, that was really the extent of it. Were there any thoughts of incorporating Drew Barrymore in any sort of capacity? You know, I think those conversations also happened before I really got involved. And I don't necessarily know what the outcome of those were. It definitely was, I, when we were casting initially, it was definitely something that was floated, which sounded like a lot of fun. But, you know, once we, the cast was assembled and we started seeing kind of where we were going and, you know, how it would work out, it just, you know, I think a lot of kind of those earlier discussions came in and it was like, yeah, it's unlikely to happen. Mm-hmm. As we come to the end here, um, I mean, this film's going to be welcome with open arms to movie fans everywhere. Are there ideas brewing for a sequel? Is that in the cards? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, this is something that we've discussed, obviously, a bunch. And, you know, I spent a lot of time with Michael Gray Eyes, uh, who plays Rainbird, talking about the Rainbird that we see in this film and kind of he and I really wanted to create a true backstory for him that explains what we see of him and how he functions that we didn't have to dump a bunch of exposition into, right. That it was something that he can use mannerisms and he can use just his style or whatever it is. And his few words to suggest a whole history here. Um, And that history also involved a future What's interesting is, without giving away any spoilers, in the sequence of Rainbird's apartment, when we see his apartment, we're kind of cruising around there. Um, there's a drawing board that's set up where he's got all these sketches that he's drawn. And if you were to freeze frame on that drawing board, you would see the rest of the film and images from it. So it's clear that there's a lot of suggestion here of what Rainbird's up to and capable of. And in order to get that right, we had to figure out, well, where does this story go after this fire starter? Now, I mean, who knows if there'll ever be a sequel or anything like that, but we wanted to suggest a much larger road and journey ahead and a world. And that this, you know, but I wanted this to be contained and satisfying and it ends in a way that I feel achieves that, but also suggest where we could go from here and what this looks like next. And so, you know, Ryan and Michael and, and I had those conversations in terms oh, of, like, 
Where we, where could we go next? I am so down for a sequel, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we're down to see it. So that said, moving forward, Ryan, do you have any projects upcoming you have uh, on the way that you can quickly tell us about? Um, um, okay, so right now um, I'm working on a TV series. A little bit of a secret. You'll find out soon. Um, really exciting. I'm really excited to share it. Um, but another movie coming out um, called The Old Way uh with nick cage and um wow with nick cage that's incredible and yeah and so that's going to be happening um i'm not sure exactly when i don't know the release but i think it's going to come out soonish so um i'm really excited about that oh we're excited that's amazing congratulations and keith what about you man i mean you said that you were working on a project with del toro yeah that should be hitting the end of this year that's on netflix so uh that's part of a series uh, that he's doing there called Cabinet of Curiosities. It's a lot of fun. I worked on that with uh, the two leads are Ben Barnes um, and Crispin Glover. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. And it was. Uh, that is amazing. It was, it was quite a lot of fun. Uh, very much. It's horror. That's kind of everything that I do is. But, you know, I can't say anything more about it other than uh it's pretty hardcore. So, uh, so that'll be, that'll be out towards the end of this year. And then, you know, always have, always have a bunch of scripts that I've written, uh, and various other things that are floating around and we'll see, you know, it's always a race to see which one, which one comes together first. Oh, it's very exciting. And I got to point out anyone listening, uh, he recently did a video called I disappear for a place to bury strangers. That is the most delightfully <laughs> grimy thing ever, man. It is so great. Congrats on that. Too. Thanks. Yeah, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. So did Del Toro bring you to bleak house? Did you get to go see bleak house? I didn't know we were all in Toronto the whole time. Oh, the whole wow. time. but, uh, I've definitely seen a lot of bleak house through pictures and videos and, uh, and just FaceTiming with, with Del Toro. And yeah. It, yeah. Uh, he's, 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 he's an amazing guy. That is so cool, man. We're so happy for you guys. Well, <laughs> Keith and Ryan, thank you so much for spending time with us and, and congratulations on a fantastic film. Thank you. Really appreciate it. That was the Buku Podcast, episode 321. Special thanks to our guests, the amazingly talented Ryan Kira Armstrong and Keith Thomas. At time of release, their new film, Firestarter, is in theaters now and streaming only on Peacock. Production tracks for this one provided by Powerman 5000. Until next time, it is the Buku saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.